Hi. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can. Easy done. Oh, sorry, I'm just getting my stuff set up. Sweet, no rush. None at all. Did you end up sleeping? Uh, when? <laughs> <laughs> in, the, in the last 48 hours, in a time when scientists would mostly agree would be good for you. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. I had a <laughs> sleep. Oh, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's fine. Yes, it was, it was yes, I have slept. There has been, <laughs> um, yeah, it's just uh, this week is slightly odd timing wise. I'm doing head writing for um, Zoltzman on the news quiz for the UK. So we've had a few meetings at odd hours and yeah, right. Uh, um, let me test my recording. You sound pretty good on my end. Yeah, I'm not using that. Hang on. Bam. Bam. Wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. I think my PC cam is garbage. Let's see if it... Oh, there. Hi. Hey, look. It's me. It's you. How do I minimize myself? Get out of here. Don't minimize yourself. Back yourself. (laughs) No, No, I'll just be looking at myself the whole time. Fair. I, I have a post-it wow. note, so I can't see myself on these things. Ah, oh, fuck you. Back yourself. No, I mean literally you, not me. Well, no, no, just because otherwise it, it's not that I don't think I'm amazing looking. It's more that I don't want to be distracted <laughs> by my own uh, immense beauty. Immense. <laughs> immense. Beauty, beauty is measured in mass at this point. Quantities. 58, 58 kilos. Quanti- quantity over quality of beauty, I think. <laughs> Just so much beauty. Oh, wow. What it's a- all fairly, it's all fairly average beauty, but there's a fucking lot of it. Like, <laughs> oh, everywhere. Oh, oh, wow. She's got a lot of eyes. Um, <laughs> so each many one. beautiful eyes. <laughs> each, each one, like not dull (laughs) it's you know she's yeah i feel like Um, that there is a little bit of that with the current um beauty aesthetic in terms of like lip fillers and and face fillers and all of that stuff it's all about bigness of feature do you want me to start recording by the way yes yes should i be yep uh the idea that lips i didn't know if you wanted to are inherently beautiful and so the more lip you have the more beautiful you must be <laughs> more more lip more lip more lip more <laughs> no 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 oh yeah you just can't yeah no oh, more lip than man <laughs> Who are you and what are you drinking? <laughs> um, my name is Mitch Alexander. I am drinking water today um, because it's a Monday. Um, and Monday is water, water day. Yes, it's my day of it's my day of the week where I <laughs> make concessions to my bodily functions. <laughs> no, um, it's because it's a week night 
we're recording it like on a late afternoon. So coffee's out. Um, I don't drink tea much and I'm not going to drink any whiskey because it's a, it's a Monday and we have to make some allusion to normality during lockdown. I can't just be having whiskey every weeknight. I tried that. It doesn't work. <laughs> so you're currently in Melbourne in lockdown. Um, mm-hmm. And it's been, what, a couple of years since you were last on this podcast. Have you had any thoughts since then? Not really. <laughs> What's happening with you? No. Uh, I'm, pretty sure is... I'm, I'm pretty sure I did this last time I was on the pod with you as well. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to underplay my immense genius and beauty. Uh, well, <laughs> I don't, <know. laughs> I don't think that made it onto the before. No, I just want to clarify to anyone <laughs> listening to this. I don't mean that. You don't get to it's move on. That. We were talking before. Yeah, it was a callback to before we were recording. So I'm not actually conceded. That was a joke for Alice. I'll get, I'll get Ben listener. to cut, cut in a segment of that conversation into this bit here. <laughs> ben Wren, my excellent editor. Um, so what have you been wrestling with of late then? Other than um, lockdown. I mean, it's one of the through... things that I dislike, although it often turns into really interesting conversations, particularly if I ask comedians what they're wrestling with and they go, the show I'm working on at the moment. I'm like, that's garbage. <laughs> <laughs> one, you're not wrestling with it. Two, no one gives a shit. Well, it's more that like, yeah, of course, everything you're thinking about is making its way into your show one way or another, but like abstracted a little yeah. from absolute self-indulgence into something a little <laughs> bit more. At least pretend for the podcast. No, no I mean, like, I don't want to bag out my guests, but uh, maybe, but I just maybe, did. I just did. I just, <laughs> I love my guests. And as I said, normally these conversations then turn interesting. But the <laughs> I love my guests. I just hate what they do. <laughs> it's just a particular turn of phrase that I, I think of no, as, totally. as abdicating responsibility for your own thoughts. Yeah, no, I mean, lucky, lucky for you and me, I don't, I'm not working on a show. I don't do hours of comedy anymore so um but uh, like for me when i was i was gonna say like everything that i've been wrestling with has been um filtered through the lens of the of the lockdown and covid and whatnot but that's because everything i've all always been thinking of i guess always been um running with has related it's just now all been heightened by the lockdown so labor rights um like union rights, union activism, all that sort of stuff. I'm a, I'm a big dirty lefty. Um, and so it's just all been like, it's just all been heightened. I mean, and that's in an Australian context too. Looking overseas can just, you know, cause you to have a meltdown. So just trying to focus more on like, ah, the, you know, more people will be put into poverty than pre COVID if the, if the welfare rate goes back to where it was as opposed to America might be a fascist state soon. (laughs) I'm literally living through history and it might be the end of me. Ah, it's much easier to focus on, you know, Australia's treasurer, Josh Frydenberg being a bit of a prick. Yeah. That's how I get through the days. At least he's a prick you can reach. At least he's a prick you can email. Um, Yeah, exactly. Or tweet aggressively at whichever you feel is going to have more of an impact on society. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think we should bring bullying back, bullying and shame. Well, this is the problem. There is so much bullying and shame at the moment, but it's it's in the wrong forum. I, oh, that's what I was going to say. Is there actually, though? It doesn't matter. I think you've got, like, like when people talk about, like, cancel culture and then cancel culture isn't real, I think what people are missing is, like, cancel culture is 100% real on places like Twitter, and that's all the... 
that's the only place those people care about. Like there are some times when people do lose their job. That's few and far between. For the most part, it's just, you know, a Twitter cancellation or you're kicked off a platform or whatever else. But for the wider world, I don't think it really matters. Like well, shame should be brought back socially. Well, not even, it shouldn't be brought back socially. It is still here. It just disproportionately affects the people that shouldn't feel shame. So I was having a conversation with a lovely lady called Sarah Hess the other day, and she was talking about um, shame and cancel culture and all of this and how you can have people who sort of don't exist online because they've been booted out of these platforms. And I was thinking about the how much your online personality is integrated with your real-life personality. I think that has a big impact on how impactful something like cancel culture has. If you have a very carved out online presence, you can just step away from it. It's a character and you can leave it on the internet and then just be yourself. But on the other hand, yeah. I was thinking about these, these kind of sub criminal wrongs that are, that form the meat of most of online cancel culture and thinking about how, you know, you used to be able to just run someone through the village square in a set of stocks and have people throw potatoes at them for a day and then after that it would be okay <laughs> and that is in some ways more appealing than this sort of nasty inchoate pollution of your character that tends to happen which which feels to me i have a strong reaction to kind of behind the back backbiting and gossip and that's a lot of how it plays out of, of, you know, particularly in comedy, someone spreads a rumor about someone, you're not 100% sure of the validity of it. You can't get any proof of it. It's a he says, she says situation, and then they might not get booked forever, but they'll never know why. Yeah. You know. Yeah, they should at least know. They should. This is why, this is why, this is why I mean bring bullying back, because at least bullying puts it front and center. Like, I don't like your socks. It's like, <laughs> okay, cool. I know where I stand. <laughs> With these, if you with think these that's people. how, I mean, that is not how bullying works in a girl's school. So uh, I think maybe online bullying <laughs> is more like the bullying that happens in a girl's school. It's a, a lot of anonymous <laughs> notes and chocolate milk poured into your locker and things like that. Oh, I, I wouldn't know. I've never heard anything bad about me. <laughs> also, I can't get any books, uh, like gigs booked recently. I don't know why. It's been a good... <laughs> five and a half years <laughs> but i think I, th I think that there is a there's a reaction to this sort of stuff now that we're seeing a, like it was mentioned at the fucking republican national convention christ's sake of the cancel culture and all these things and we're getting op heads in the guardian and uh, but like we really are only seeing it now because it is starting to to affect people who never noticed it before but the idea that you know you could be run out of well, the idea now that I could potentially be run out of a social space just for thinking something wrong or saying something wrong or, you know, like maybe leaning the wrong way politically, that's always happened to like women and black people and poor people and so many other groups that like essentially it's just now started to affect rich people who were just like, what do you mean I can't tweet whatever I want? Like oh. they're now getting pushback. That's just like, oh, oh, this is what this is what happens when most other people started to like stand up. If you if you were already part of a class that wasn't respected and you went against the grain, the aggregate cultural mores would just work against you, and you would feel shame, and you would be kicked out of the society, whatever society it might be. 
Well, yes, and yeah, yes and no. I think that's a, a really a valid point. I I got a note at the end of year seven uh, talking about high school bullying that said, "You think too differently from us. Never sit with us again." And I was like, "Well, at least that's clear." <laughs> you know. <laughs> You can't um, sit with us. Yeah. So that was the, the all-girls school that you went to. Would that be because you're a continentalist and they were analytic? Yes. Yeah, that was entirely <laughs> um, philosophy-based. Uh, I do love coming there. on your podcast because I can have my little jokes like that and like <laughs> the vast majority of listeners will go, oh, delightful, <laughs> as opposed to telling me to shut up and bullying Or, me. you know, Google it, Google it, um, which everyone has <laughs> access to. <laughs> um, but But... Yeah, I think I think it's an interesting phenomenon. Uh, not that interesting. Tell me about uh, work workplace culture. Ah <laughs> 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 uh, fuck! I cannot remember the last time I've heard a pivot so hard. That was like that was the pneumatic brakes on a truck going off. <laughs> Come on, Mitch, this is not a comedy podcast. Get with it. (laughs) (laughs) Smart people hate joy. We know this. Yeah, this is the only thing that I'm I'm doing is just backing up your assertion that bullying is fine. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, Oh, I mean, here's a... Here's something I suppose for you you to jump off of. I don't know if you've ever heard the the working theories that the rent seeker and landlord is the sole reason for our economic troubles. The rent seeker and, and landlord, socially speaking, the idea that the possession of land entitles you to money because people want to live on your land. I haven't heard it. Expand it to me. I mean, I've heard, obviously, I've heard plenty of people discussing uh, how bad how landlords, landlords are. are. Yeah, and uh, Corey, yeah. Corey White has a, a very funny joke of, oh, yeah, yeah, I've got a mortgage to pay. Not my mortgage, <laughs> just a stranger's mortgage. <laughs> yeah, I exactly. thought was a lovely, lovely line. Um, yeah. But, yeah, explain to me your angle on it. So this is, yeah, this is something that, again, COVID has heightened. So, like, years and years ago, I think through Corey, actually, um, found a 18th century um, economist called Henry George, who has this theory of essentially like single land tax and his whole theory. And there's, you know, pros and cons, blah, blah, blah. is essentially that like the ownership of land and property, whether it's, you know, for rent or for usually he, he speaks about it in terms of business, but it's just that like a recession and a depression doesn't make sense. You have workers that want to work, you have capitalists that want to like produce, you have consumers that want to buy shit and you have all of those shops and storefronts and factories sitting idle waiting for that stuff to be used. So what's the issue? Why do we have a recession? Like we have work to do, but apparently no jobs. Um, and his whole thing is that because the, the, the landlord, the landowner has to get rent. And then speculation drives the cost of rent up and that depresses wages and, and blah, blah, blah. So like I've been getting back into that. Um, it's always been something that I've been super interested in. I'm, you know, a big fan of Marxist theory. Um, a big thing. Oh, there is actually something I want to bring up. Remind me, uh, remind me of tankies a bit later. Um, <laughs> but um, so, but it's just been interesting to watch people sort of naturally 
come to their own conclusions about something that took me years of like academic reading to try to like, you know, really ingratiate myself into once we have something like a global pandemic breakout and people just sort of go, Oh, Holy shit. Like I can't pay rent. No one can pay rent, but I am in this house and this is keeping me safe. And this is what's keeping me away from homelessness. Why the fuck am I paying someone else's rent or mortgage or whatever it is? And then that filtering back up to being like, well, I've got this mortgage and I can't, you know, I've got to be paying the bank back. It's like, yeah, seems like an issue, doesn't it? (laughs) So is the central problem with the idea of land ownership or do you mean in terms of like economics where you used to have common land and then it was enclosed for sheep and people were run off the land and it, became sort of a more complex structure well yeah this this is the thing is that from the initial the book is um progress and poverty and that's Mm -hmm. just an amazing read it's one of those it's one of those books that makes me realize how revolutions could start from books because it's got it's like it's a dense academic text and every so often there is those like sweeping passages of like are you not entitled to the sweat of your brow (laughs) it's like damn we were talking about logical proofs like two pages ago (laughs) It's one of those things which is worth kind of going back to the historical premise, right? At least in Western culture, which was you'd have a castle and the land surrounding the castle would be protected by the castle. And so the trade was clearer then in that the castle owned your land because if you didn't pay them, they'd beat the shit out of you. On the other hand, (laughs) if somebody came to try and take your land uh, away from you slash them, they would beat the shit out of them and protect your, you know, if there was a fight, you'd go into the castle. And and there was various sort of exchanges of, at that time, pretty fair value of, of, you know, again, incredibly backbreaking labor in exchange for not being murdered is a fairly nice, uh, or at least, you know, if not, if not an equitable deal, at least a deal that everyone could wrap their heads around and really see in practice. Yeah. And that, you know, in those days, if you didn't like it, you could leave. Um, if yeah. you could leave. Well. Off and on. And then you have serfdom <laughs> yeah, yeah. and various other things where you're tied to the land and, and, and so on and so forth. But at least there, the deal is fairly simple mm. or at least fairly straightforward. Uh, putting fairness aside, it was a, a deal that people agreed to more or less. And then to the point now where people are using the law as the, the castle guards, as it were, the monopoly of power that is presented by your legal right to this land. Uh, But it's all on paper and it doesn't seem quite as clear. Why do I have to pay this person who lives in a different country money? Well, my land that I'm living on. But that's the thing is that it's not so much that, you know, people are using our current laws for that purpose. Our current laws were written by those people back in the day for the express purpose of maintaining that same, those same rights that they had before those laws were written. Like that's the, that's the biggest thing that's coming out of COVID, especially in places like America where they just might, there just might be mass homelessness. People can't pay rent, blah, blah, blah. Is that our legal system, the Western legal system, is designed by and for like landed gentry, the like people with money and people with land. Your mm. rights as a worker are secondary to upholding deeds and upholding pieces of paper that say, I own the land underneath you. And people are just starting to realize that that's totally fucked up. And the more extreme situations get, the more people are just like, oh, well, fucking Maoism then. 
Like, what are you doing to me? Like, break me off a piece and let me live. And people are just going, no, it's mine. I get rent. And people are like, all right, fuck it then. I've got nothing. Like, well, the, the, the idea is that sort of even unfair systems can survive until they become intolerably unfair. You can, you can yeah, push totally. people only so far before they will like, react. I do, this is this is this is a thing I've been wrestling with for a very long time, and COVID has exacerbated. Is that I do not understand why business leaders, the ultra rich, monarchs, governments, whatever, can't just give a little bit extra to a few more people. Like if everyone just had a bunch more money and were kept docile and happy, you wouldn't have these these issues. But it seems like there is just this blind ideological adherence to greed or to property or whatever. Like. Well, the Jeff, direct... Jeff Bezos has so much fucking money and yet people can't take toilet breaks in his factories. Just give people like, like <laughs> a Google style factory to work in with slippery dips and shit. And it wouldn't be good, but people would just be like, oh, you know what? It's pretty, it's better than somewhere else. But it's like, no, I've got to piss my pants while I sort boxes. Yeah. If you're working that, in the, that... if you're working in the warehouses of the Amazon distribution plant, then you're very much aware that they're just keeping you around until they can get a robot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, this, this, is, so this is to go back a few steps to like the old, like at least my imaginary idea of the the landowner, the landowning gentry, where it was a a right of arms mm. thing. If you could be incredibly unfair and you could misuse your power to an extreme degree, but if you pushed it too far, they'd burn your fucking castle down. <laughs> like, yeah. Or try to. Yeah. Or try to. At the like, very, you know, or call. You know, some some next door neighbor would come in and and fight you or whatever it happened to be but now the responsibility is so incohate and diffuse that even if there were a revolution i think people would find it very difficult to know who to burn (laughs) which castle to bring down uh, because responsibility is diffuse and because the impact is so diffuse you don't have that direct relationship of this person is doing me wrong you will inevitably just pick a target and use them as a proxy which is what you see in cancel culture of like, this man is a representative of all men who are doing this wrong thing. Yeah. Yeah. Burn him down I think, without affecting yeah, the system as a whole. Yeah. That's, I mean, you saw it in like parts of the Arab spring. Like the, the example for me is Egypt where people just sort of went like, we want this government out. And this other government sort of like, you know, walked in like, Hey, what about us? And people went <laughs> fucking no, not you either. And it was just this, like, <laughs> we know this is bad, but we have this wrong sort of, we, we have this wrong framework at the moment. And that's like, yeah, unfortunately it seems like it is systemic change. And then that, that filters all the way back down to cancel culture. It's like, are you really upset that, this one person said the thing out loud or are you more concerned about fixing the systems that they are championing? Are you, are you not being reductionist enough? I reckon this argument isn't about X. I think it's about class, but I mean, that's me. I'm a class reductionist. Um, (laughs) But I I do think, I do think you're right in terms of what we have now is a diffuse appearance of power. And that has given us more options in the appearances of options. If you had your feudal Lord and he was being a prick, it's either we burn that guy's castle down or we live under it or someone else kills us. Whereas now we've got like these ultra corporations and democracy and, you know, our little tribes and the leaders of those little tribes and all these different sort of areas where it's like, I'm feeling anxious or unstable what is the go it's probably him or that thing well you see you see it in 
I'll give you two examples where I think it's sort of evident. I briefly worked on a thing called News Lab with Charles Firth out of The Chaser. And it was a, it was a really fun idea that didn't end up working um, because it was kind of a free reign with a new team. He sort of brought together a whole bunch of people who didn't know each other and said, do whatever you want. And I think if we'd either had a brief, we might have <laughs> formed as a team or if we'd known each other before, we might have figured something yeah. out together. But it ended up uh, not working out. And, uh, but one of the things that he, we, we had discussions about was he was saying, um, let's do sort of pranks like the chaser used to do. And that was something that I didn't like the idea of. I'm not super into it, but one of the things was that Kmart at that time, uh, a shop, a clothing shop, uh, was doing something wrong. And somebody proposed going in, talking to one of the employees about these terrible practices that Kmart had. And I thought, but what? <laughs> this person isn't being. They're not. The, I don't give a fuck. They're not the problem. They're not the. <laughs> you know, there's just some p- poor person being paid minimum wage. Why would you? I don't <laughs> want to do this unless we're talking to the CEO, who was obviously a yeah. much harder person to reach. And then the other side, the other <laughs> example <laughs> that I would use for this is the looting that happened in America as part of the riots and protests and the Black Lives Matter protests of smashing up a storefront to express your rage at the system or your rage at, at people in power. And that's not, that's not the castle that you're burning down. You're not burning down Count Vlad's castle. You're sort of, it, it doesn't seem, it seems like it's not going to have an impact on the people you want it to have an impact on. And as an expression yeah, of. Disagree. You disagree. Because the people, the people that you want it to have an impact on aren't just like, your Scott Morrison's and Justin Trudeau's in the front cabinet. Like they have lobbyists from places like Kmart and Walmart and whatever else. And like, if you affect their bottom line, even, even slightly, if it's enough for them to notice, then they will take notice on that. And they have the looting and writing has caused enough change, not just in America in the last six months, but across time as an expression of the fact that your economic system is not allowed to operate until these, you know, things have changed. Um, it's, and again, it, part of the reason why that works, I think, is because the people that work there don't actually give a fuck. Like if they can't, if they can't work while that place is shut down and then they look at their boss and they're like their mega corporation that they work for, who's refusing to pay them while they can't work, and they don't go, oh, well, fuck you. You've got heaps of money. You could still pay me while that shop gets like repaired. If they don't think that, then they're just a weird ideological simp anyway. And they don't really deserve to <laughs> be on the side. But like, I, think, I, think, I think we probably have a disagreement about, about violence uh, that's sort yeah, of so. fundamental that we're not going to agree on anyway. Um, <laughs> but in terms of effective looting, I think would have, well, I don't know. I have, I have my own theories about that. Um, but, I'm it just, would have I'm been a lot not... better if it had been shown to be extremely controlled. If you could say we're going to loot for the next 24 hours and then stop. Uh, whereas I don't think that was what it was at all. I don't think it was, but I think, I mean, you can't police looting. <laughs> In terms of like, if, you, if you've gotten to the point of looting, then that's just indicative of larger failures of people to take care of the issues before that point. It's like, it doesn't matter that there's bad actors looting when they don't need to. It doesn't matter that there is a difference between a Walmart and a mom and pop like own shop. It matters to those people, 
but the whole thing is that we are now at a point where the degradation has resulted in looting and that will get results for better or worse. It will either become more authoritarian or things will be wound back to try to stop the looting. Targeted looting has a place, but like, I don't know. That's like, that's like debating the difference between lone wolf terrorism and organized cells. Like, <laughs> yeah, there is a difference. And like, maybe you could say that the lone wolf, you know, needs to bloody learn how to organize and be friends with people because he can get more done. So yeah, but that's not the point. Why, why are they committing terrorist acts anyway? That's the thing. And a lone wolf or a cell can produce the effects, the desired effects of a terrorist attack regardless. Yes, depending on what the desired effects are. But I think often yeah. I think often these things, these acts of violence, whether they are looting or terrorism or whatever it happens to be, I don't think they are done with any desired effects in mind. They're an expression of totally. anger. And they're yes. not they're not purposive. And I don't I don't you know, I'm obviously coming from a position of being pretty anti violence. Yeah. relatively uh, to a relatively extreme degree i think that that it it is not never justified it's never right sometimes justified if that makes oh, that's sense the, 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 the kantian response you should always let the murderer <laughs> in you cannot lie to the murderer to save your friend because it's not right no i think so, no that's not what i think at all i think that you you can you Sometimes it's the only option of a number of bad options or the best option of a number of bad options, but that doesn't make it right. doesn't make yeah, it yeah, good. Yeah. An excuse or a justification I, yeah. doesn't make it correct. I think that's the, that's the thing that's missing at the moment is that all this talk of like looting, like, I mean, I don't know, it is fun and people have ate, eaten shit for a very long time. So fucking get yours, burn something down, whatever. Like, let's, let's go. Nothing, nothing has worked. We, they fucking, we voted for Kevin Rudd. They voted for Obama. Fuck all has happened. So what else do we have left? But the main difference is, well, the main, the main issue is that there's no real talk about how regrettable it is. It isn't good. I'm not stoked that we're at a point. I'm not for permanent revolution. I like peace. I like hanging out with my friends. Like I don't want to feel like I might need to be like hurling bricks at things, but like, if you're not going to, sh if you're not going to shut down coal mines, I'm going to have to do something at a certain point. We're all going to be, faced with that sort of thing and it's i think it's more about like what are you like prepared to do but it shouldn't be like fuck yeah here we go yeah there's it's a permafrost like, oh, sinkhole in fuck. siberia that's moving 30 meters a year let's yeah let's get something done but I, th I think I th the looting the looting should just be like it, sh it should it should be regrettable like this is this is fucked even if it gets results it it's a real it's really terrible that we had to get to this point to get results well, yeah, the proportion of, and then of course you have these ideas of the deserving poor and the undeserving poor and what is criminalized and what is not, you know, white collar crime tends to be treated in a completely different yeah. way that if you steal a billion dollars, you will get less of a penalty than if you steal a hundred dollars. And that seems yeah. wrong. And if you steal from your employees, that's far worse, far less bad according to the law than stealing yeah. from your employer. And that kind of stuff starts to get really on the nose where you look at the numbers of, you know, wage theft, people having yeah. been forced to work over yep. time or straight up like Donald Trump built a fucking skyscraper and didn't pay any of his contractors and just <laughs> like all of that stuff yeah, where you say, like, oh, he stole $80,000 from the people who were working from him and nothing happened. Yeah. 
because mm. our laws are made by landowners and the people that own things and white collar people. Like this, this is this is the synthesis. This is where it comes out. And this is why people are starting to, with COVID and the lockdowns coming to these realizations by themselves. Like the laws work for people that have the money to persecute them or the holdings to have a claim. Yes, and, and that's where that's you a- have, it becomes extremely in the same ways, I guess, with feudalism of we are being told that there is a reciprocal exchange here. And when it becomes evident that there is not a reciprocal exchange and you see it in, in things like older generations complaining about our generation, not having any company loyalty that we don't work hard for large corporations (laughs) that hire us. And you go, well, that's because they will fire us on no provocation or any provocation or, you know, I went into a law firm to a pay freeze because it was after the GFC they didn't need to do yeah. a pay freeze. We weren't losing that much money. They just used it as an excuse. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I've watched people of my, gener- of my generation in that law firm be get up to the position of senior associate, which is your pre-partner position, only to be faced with, <laughs> this is true, the law firm I used to work at inserted a new level of employee between <laughs> senior associate and partner. <laughs> so they dragged it (laughs) senior junior associate (laughs) just that why would you have loyalty to people who did that yeah yeah yeah, we've been engaged for 14 years and oh now now we're extra engaged we're pre-married like we're (laughs) (laughs) pre-married my favorite one of that is there's they always trot out like the ceo who used to be the janitor and he started sweeping the floors and he worked his way up to CEO. It's like, yeah, fucking talk about how when he became CEO, he fired all the cleaners and outsourced it to a third company, like a third party that don't pay their workers properly. So no more fucking sweepers can become CEOs and dethrone him. I the, fucking... the investment bank I worked for in New York, uh, the new CEO who'd been brought in after the GFC was famous for, and the thing that he was most famous for was like changing up the expenditures of the company from lavish expenditures to looking better for the clients but he just he banned fresh flowers in board meetings (laughs) 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 dried flowers only cost cutting pressed flower book (laughs) like was he hoping that was going to be his like one olive out of every salad on the airplane yeah here we go it was a very symbolic gesture of like no more fun times for for us (laughs) no more color or joy fuck you we're here to work and i I was in the employee relations hr department as a as an intern doing various things um i I quit very quickly (laughs) don't worry um and it was america so the internship program was like the the pay was non-existent um but one of the things that that was part of part of the whole uh i guess the framework was that we had to you know the employee relations department would send out these emails saying of course uh, integrity has always been important to us as a company um but now we're under increased scrutiny so if you could actually do it that'd be great (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> very subtly sort of <laughs> these messages are like of course we've always said that you know <laughs> with a renewed focus on integrity guys <laughs> that's always been important to us <laughs> <laughs> nothing's changed but we're gonna <laughs> integrity now has a capital i so if we could all just keep it in mind <laughs> fucking hell yeah that's <laughs> so good Sweetheart, I've always been faithful to you, but I just want you to know I'm deleting my Tinder account. What? <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, like, you, 
a lot of questions are being raised about the first sentence of this email, which I feel are covered by the first sentence of this email. <laughs> I, <laughs> guys, we have always valued integrity. Yeah, no, you haven't. You still don't. <laughs> so you that, can't. That, You're for profit. You can't. There was a there was a thing that also. Oh, I, I'm not going to just bitch about the com- corporate organisations <laughs> that I refused to keep go. working for. Uh, one of the <laughs> things was a was a whistleblower hotline that you could call in and report bad behaviour, and it was an it was anonymous whistleblower. Voice. It was an anonymous whistleblower hotline, and the first thing that we had to do when we got a call was write down the desk number it was coming from. <laughs> Fuck. Jesus Christ. Like, I'm laughing about that now, but, but like, it's either that or I just scream and run into the night, break a curfew and just fucking just smash car windows in Turak with chains. Like, what, what do you want? So here's what an interesting, do? here's an interesting <laughs> sort of uh, rhetorical sort of switch, switcheroo that's happening at the moment, particularly on the left, which is that you have... Yeah simultaneously a lot of pressure from left people to respect the science, uh, respect things like curfew, respect the law when it comes to uh, mask wearing and that people who refuse that are idiots at the same time as people saying, yes, protest, yes, uh, get out there on the streets. And I've seen, um, I've seen some concern about that being intellectually incoherent you're more embedded in that. Can you give me the explanation? So when you say, yes, get out on the streets, do you mean from leftists as well? From leftists as well. So leftists who will condemn, for example, an anti-mask protest and uh, vindicate or justify a Black Lives Matter protest. Yeah. And I understand in that instance, it's, you know, what you think is important. Yes. But in terms of what you're talking about in about respecting the system or the authority or the power of the police, that side of it, sort of pro authority and anti authority in the same playbook. I mean, like the, the part of the issue is that we need to take a realistic look at the people who are protesting, why they're protesting and the people who are talking about them. Like, Australia is a nation of cops. We fucking love dobbing on people. We, we're, we're piglets for it. Love it. Yum, 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 yum. Give me someone to hate. Um, so a lot of people who are talking about how they are leftists just fucking love cops. They do. They, they, they love rules. They're well, we had military. Fault. We had military law in a convict colony and then we elected our own police force from among the population. We went from being, by definition, the most criminal society on yeah. earth to second generation Australia was the most law-abiding society on earth at that time. So it's yeah. embedded in our culture that cops are us, that they're yeah, yeah, part yeah. of us. That was a big shift in attitude to authority. Uh, although, you know, you still have that kind of bush ranger folklore idea of us as being anti-authoritarian that was a very clever shift that they made in terms of bringing the police up from the post-convict population as they gained their freedom yeah yeah i mean it's just that i think there are some people that would like put black lives matter in their twitter bio and black out a picture on instagram who would not know or care about or engage with the issues with policing as it affects 
indigenous people or just not know about it like not really not really think too deeply about it <clears throat> as a as an issue like it doesn't affect them so that it doesn't come up until someone shows it and then they would get on board with it but eh, they're not really thinking about it yeah, um, american cultural imperialism no one talks <laughs> about it enough <laughs> well yeah like i mean but i mean there's also the issue that these right-wing protests that are anti-mask uh, anyone who is there that isn't a conspiracy theorist QAnon is a statistical outlier not worth worrying about. They are offshoots <laughs> of the, like, the Australia first racist groups. And they just are. Mm. Like, they just are those same people that if anyone is unfortunately suckered along who is just genuinely, like, a, a proper leftist... This is the thing. We can't talk about these things as if they're in isolation. There is no way you can know about an anti-mask um, protest happening and yet only be there because you are an extreme leftist who is against Dan Andrews creeping authoritarianism in the state of Victoria. Mm. You're just not. You fucking know the context of all those things going on. So, so it's I about tribal affiliation more than it is about an underlying sort of logic. I mean, no. I, I've got the same logic as those people protesting in the anti-mask and the Black Lives Matter marches. Um, uh, it, it is a matter of like, what do you think is important? I think those people protesting the anti-mask things are wrong and they need to just reconnect with their families and apologize. And <laughs> <laughs> the black lives matter protesters need to put more of their money where their mouth is and actually keep things up, start donating, start, you know, actively helping. But I'd like, I don't, I, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not separating myself out from the feeling that one of these protest is right and the other one is wrong i definitely have that feeling but i certainly uh, am uncomfortable with how quickly people turned and it was in australia certainly it had happened within a week of like how dare you protest you are putting everyone in danger and don't you care about people's lives to this is incredibly important get out there and protest and it, it happened very quickly and there wasn't really uh, an explanation of why it was different. What was the death of George Floyd? Mm. And like those people that were protesting like anti-mask stuff were, <laughs> they were on the steps of Victorian state parliament chanting like lock gates up, like referring to Bill Gates and the American 5G. cultural imperialism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So like that is stupid, but the Black Lives Matter stuff was related to deaths. And so part of that reckoning was, do you think that your life is more important than the lives of Indigenous Australian people? This has gone unaddressed for too long. This is a cultural spark. This was not just in America or Australia. It happened everywhere. They were like, they were burning cars in France. Like French people love a protest, but like they- I hate a car. Oh man. I fucking hate a car. I mean, the cars that come out of France are shit. So it makes sense. <laughs> little dinky cars. It's like, yeah, burn them. But that's what they're for. Glorified bonfires. That's what I've always thought about French cars. I'm just saying you can't be an environmentalist burning a car. <laughs> what if you burn a Prius? <laughs> um, but no so like it is it is a matter of like what is more important is it bringing to light these like the, the the indigenous deaths that happen at the hands of police in this country that no cop has ever been found criminally liable for um over and above stopping the spread of this um of this virus and like 
and the thing is, well, there there is a, there is a difference to a degree between like the anti-lockdown protests. Uh, by and large, either don't think COVID is a real issue, or they downplay the risk of it. Whereas everyone at the other protest was also reckoning with the fact that they don't want to be out here spreading it. They don't want to be doing this, but this is how important it really, genuinely is to do. So that there seems to be a, at least in the dialogue, a fundamental sort of like um, a different approach to the issue which is borne out in the fact that those protests didn't spread any of it. There were people that were positive with COVID at the Melbourne one, and it didn't seem to spread anywhere. And across the nation, all of those protests didn't result in any spreading. So like it, it played out, it, pl it played out differently. I don't know. I just think I'm more of a like, I don't exactly know what the term is, but I just, I, just, I think appealing to base fundamental ideology is good to explain it's good to explain volition i don't mm -hmm. think it's good to explain like normative preferences because we're also rational creatures we like we can look at the failures of communism in every single state and still go yeah but marxism might work how about we just take the good bits and forget the bad bits like you don't we don't have to take gulags with us we can we can switch back like we don't have to we don't if we're for the like the black lives matter protests in this country we don't also have to think that bill gates is trying to infect us with microchips like i can i can just pass oh, no i'm not i'm not saying that that is the know, case i'm just sort of i was but interested not, but, to see how extreme the rhetoric was on the left against outdoor protests and then how it was just well, sort see, of immediately understood that this was worth protesting about I didn't really see any of that. I mean, there is there is a consortium um, like American imperialism. It's there is there is a strain of centrism creeping into like Australian politics, um, typified by Labor Party voters who will take that tact of just like straight. Ah, you can't do that. Oh wait, yes you can. Here's a good thing to just switch on. I'm not committed to anything ideologically. I will pick and choose but it's not really based on anything it's just based on you know reacting to the extremes on either side i'm buffeted against those those sort of things um i think that is like because i didn't see extreme leftists outraged at the people at the bill gates protest in melbourne i saw them laugh at those people and ridicule them the only people i would have seen have an issue with it are the like the raindrop emoji twitter handles just being like, well, you can't do that. What's Bill Shorten think? Oh, Bill Shorten wants to, okay, you can do, Dan Andrews is sexy and, and the Labour Party are great. Have you not, have you not seen any of that fanfic? No, I, this is the problem as well, because Holy I shit. think partly I'm talking about these things like I didn't see this or <laughs> uh, I didn't see that. My connection with all of this is very um, spasmodic. I will read so, Twitter or the internet oh. when I have to write satire about it and otherwise I'm completely disconnected so I have this very uh you know I'm not coming across as somebody who's like above this all or or non-partisan or anything like that I just am sort of I get to see these things in lightning flashes and so when two things or when something seems to shift I don't often track the logic from one shift to the next it's not right, me being right. like well actually I you know this is genuinely uh, there is probably an explanation but I missed it <laughs> I mean, yeah, look, I'm, I'm sorry to let you know this. I'm sorry that I have to be the one to tell you this, but there's been a spate of Melbourne journalists 
really struggling through the lockdown, the extreme lockdowns that we've had that have just started writing like erotic fan fiction about Dan Andrews and Sutton, <laughs> our chief medical officer. And like someone had a fucking, someone tried with the headline of like, I've got the hots for, uh, uh, Berejiklian, the New South Wales Premier, and people are like, "Dude, <laughs> please stop, please, please stop." Like, I'm gonna go ahead and um, uh, this th- this article was in the Age. Um, I just want to, I just want to <laughs> quote it. Can I quote on your podcast? Yes, absolutely. Quote with attribution. Um, this is from Monica Ducks. Get a hold of yourself. Um, <laughs> yet when the COVID-19 crisis struck, I suddenly found myself transfixed by his media conferences. Every time he addressed journalists, he communicated in a firm, concise manner, without spin or hackneyed phrases, and with such clarity and sincerity that I believed every word he said. It was like the old movie cliche, the scene where the awkward woman takes off her glasses and lets down her hair, and the leading man suddenly realises that she's actually been incredibly hot all along. Dan had stepped up and he was suddenly hot too, strictly in a leadership sort of way. I mean, this is absolutely... It just goes on and on. This is absolutely 100% um, cast crush syndrome. I don't know if you've ever been in a theatrical production or like on a boat or any other sort of enclosed work crush, whatever it is. If you are in an intense situation and only have access to a certain number of people, part of your brain goes, this is the best possible person in this environment. And and the rest of your brain goes, well, this environment is the world. This is the best possible person in the world. And so you have a crush on the person you're in a play with who outside of the play, you would never look twice at, but they are the best person in that environment. And then you just absolutely fall in love with them. And then you finish the play and you're like, why would I ever, I feel like because Dan Andrews is the only person who this woman has access to on a regular basis, (laughs) he is the best person in the world and therefore must be the father of her children in this small village of her mind. Um, I've never heard of it called cast crush before. I always heard that as office hot. Like someone office, is hot yeah. in the office. Yeah. Perhaps there's like, more yeah. about our respective <laughs> backgrounds than anything else. <laughs> yeah, isn't it just, Alice? <laughs> you know you know when like you, you're just hanging out with CEOs all the time and then suddenly like it turns out the richest one's always the hottest. You know what that's like? <laughs> you know when you're on I a yacht, it, there's I always one cabin boy yeah. who's... <laughs> He can shake me golden, um, <laughs> but like, it's like a golden handshake, a CEO. You're, oh, I see. You, you come from a business background, Alice. That's, yeah. <laughs> that was a common, that was a common man joke. I'm sorry for making it your presence, ma'am. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I also put it down to like, everyone was talking about ISO horn where like the, the lockdown happened and everyone was locked up in their houses, just getting like stupidly horny online and messaging each other and sliding into each other's DMs because you can't do anything. It's all fiction. So like, as soon Everyone's as isolation Everyone's gotten really breaks, good at writing fan fiction. Yeah. As soon as isolation breaks, we're not messaging these people again. No one gives a shit. <laughs> um, but when the second lockdown hit, when all these articles came out, I put it down to like Pavlovian conditioning. Like we're in lockdown, I'm horny. And <laughs> it just gets directed to the first person you see and it's the premiere. It's just, yeah, it's sad and weird. Um, <laughs> I don't like it at all. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a lot of sort of psychologically interesting features of this isolation. It's the first time in in history where we've had mass quarantines with absolute access to information. Right. 
So yeah, it, yeah. all of a sudden we're all in these little biodomes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Like we've got precedent for lockdowns before, but everything that's happened in the last 20 years has to be with a proviso of like, oh, also internet. Yeah. Like, yeah, we can, we're, we're recording this like states apart. Like that's wild. Like yeah. I, I'm catching up with people all the time through my little screen and the little microphone and stuff. So isolation, I think, I think it might and even all be all of the time you used worse. to spend on public transport or getting from one place to another. You're now spending thinking about regrets and <laughs> <laughs> people in your life who you left behind for whatever reason. Like, oh, I should give them a call. You shouldn't. No, you shouldn't. You left for a reason. Um, I, yeah. Like there's, I just wonder if maybe it's going to end up worse because we have a, there's a veneer of thinking that this is okay, actually. Like I shouldn't be lonely. I can chat to anyone all the time and I can FaceTime them and I can reach out with my little, like the screen and you're right there. And then like, it turns out being social creatures means that we actually really do need to be in each other's company as opposed to just hearing a digital transference of sight and sound. Yeah. That and this the, isn't enough that you in this yeah. moment are deeply unsatisfying. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for inviting me on. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. It was just so open. Ah, <laughs> uh, good. Great. Good. Love it. Where can people find you and support you online? Um, I have a podcast with some amazing people called Not Good Pod. Um, if you want to listen to us, like, read out some of that horrible political erotic fan fiction with, like, sexy saxophone underneath it. That's yes, please. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's, that's available. Um, so, uh, yeah, Not Good Pod. Uh, sorry, it's good. The podcast is called Not Good Enough, and on all the socials, it's at Not Good Pod. Um, and my band is called Eye of the Enemy, like Eyeball. Um, I don't know. Do I have a, like a do I have a really fucked accent when I try to say my band name? Does it not come across properly? No. I've I okay. I just a lot of a lot of people seem to mishear it or not take it on. But yeah, I scream in a death metal band. So if that's your thing, fans of Tea with Alice, check my band out. Eye of the Enemy, like Eye it. of Sau Sauron. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, and yeah, don't find, don't find my personal socials. I don't want you to know. No, don't, <laughs> don't look at my... Uh, well, thank you so much for having tea with me. Slash water. You are welcome. Thanks. Thanks for thanks for inviting me back. It's been good. To, it's good to be back on after so many years. <laughs>